Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Geis, and this is episode 10 being recorded on Wednesday, May 16th, 2019. And the title of this episode is A Discussion with Tony Tarabellini on Keeping the Sport of Motorcycling Alive. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. In recent episodes, I asked listeners to send me an email or Facebook message and let me know who's out there and listening. One of the people to do so was Tony Tarabellini, who is my guest tonight. But even before I started asking for direct feedback, I did get emails from some listeners, and because I enjoy reading listener emails so much was one of the reasons that I started asking you know, specifically for, for listeners to reach out and contact me. The first person to contact me via my podcast email address was Tom Potashnik, who also is a listener to the Throttle podcast, where I'm a co-host. Uh, we're also both listeners of the Cafe Racer podcast, which is hosted by Chris Ashmore, otherwise known as Crash. And yes, I'm sure there's a story behind that. And who knows, maybe one of these days I'll have him on the show and we'll find out. And also Stephen Grasso, uh, also known as Daddy No Fun. And so they described their podcast as the intersection of the Cafe Racer and the Road Trip, a podcast for those who love riding and motorcycles. So definitely check them out. Like I said, I'm a fan and a listener and uh, they've got some some really good content also. So just wanted to to go over one listener email. So this is the one from, from Tom Potashnik. So he said in his email, my background started riding about 12 years ago and like yourself started late in life. I'm 58 now. My current bikes are a BMW R1200GS and a Vespa 300GTS scooter. I have done some off-road adventure riding, but my focus these days is road riding. I live in Marietta, Georgia, and most of my riding is in the North Georgia and North Carolina mountains. Finally, just a few months ago, I became an MSF rider coach, so I'm new at instructing riders and seeing new riders firsthand. So, Tom, thanks for, thanks for writing in. I really appreciate it. And so I'd like to ask the favor again. Any listeners out there who are willing, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me on Facebook and let me know that you're out there and let me know where you live, um, how long you've been riding, what you currently ride, what you do or don't like about the show, which episode is your favorite so far, and any topics you'd like to hear about in the future. It really helps me to know who's listening and that there are actual people out there enjoying my episodes and I'm not just relying on kind of cold and personal download statistics, graphs, and things that I can see on my podcast website. So to contact me, you can just email me, so you want to ride, that's one word, so you want to ride at yahoo.com. All right, thanks a lot. And let's get on to the show. All right. So tonight's episode is going to be a lot of fun. First of all, so this is episode number 10. Now, I didn't get a chance to research this. I was going to check it out, but I've kind of heard that in the world of podcasting, making it to 10 episodes is a big deal because that kind of means that the podcaster has enough stick to itiveness and whatever to keep it rolling. So uh, so fortunately, I've made it to episode number 10. Da, 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 da. Um, and it's actually really kind of cool because I have a special guest with me here tonight. So uh, one of my listeners, so Tony Tarabellini, welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much. You, you got that last name bang on too. People, uh, awesome. Good. People don't <laughs> <Okay>. normally. <laughs> Good. Hope, hopefully I'll get it right the next time I say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Tony and I actually know each other from the Loud Pipes podcast, which I've mentioned before on the show. Um, we're, we're both listeners and we hang out together uh, in, in their kind of chat room area. There's a collaboration app called Slack that they use. And uh, so it, in the tradition of Loud Pipes, because it's actually one of the first podcasts I started listening to, and uh, Rich over at R-Dub Studios, you know, he was a big help, you know, answering a lot of questions for me when, when I was first getting this podcast started. So they have this tradition on, on Loud Pipes podcast that when they get started, the, the host and the co-hosts, you know, announce what, what beer they're drinking for the evening. That's not always beer. Sometimes they have mixed drinks and things like that, or it's water, soda, whatever. But uh, so, so Tony and I were chatting, and uh, actually, so he just yesterday, you celebrated your wedding anniversary, right? Okay. Yeah. Which yeah, which number was that? Fifteen. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. That's awesome. And so your wife got you a couple of special gifts, one of which you're enjoying right now, right? Indeed, yeah. It's uh, a fifteen year uh aged uh Balvini scotch. Okay. So I normally drink the twelve just because it's a little cheaper. Uh but she saw the you know, she said, Oh, it's our fifteenth anniversary, it's a fifteen year, it's a my wife is super, super cool. Obviously, okay. That's <laughs> yeah. okay. awesome. So that that's awesome. That's a, that's an awesome, awesome gift. So uh, yeah. yeah. So since Tony's enjoying that, I was like, okay, well, maybe yeah, you know, like in the traditional loud pipes, maybe I'll have a little tradition here, and maybe instead of drinking beer, you know, with the with guests and whatever, we'll we'll have uh, bourbon and whiskey and scotch and whatnot. So I've got a little uh, wild turkey American honey I'm enjoying. So cheers. Happy, happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Okay, so um, one thing I just wanted to start off mentioning, we, we actually, we're in the middle of May, but May is Motorcycle Awareness Month, and uh, I don't know actually how that got started, and I, maybe I could do a little research for the next show or something. Do you, do you have any idea? Is that like something started by American Motorcycle Association, or? I don't know. Um, I, I'd have to look into it, but it makes sense that it's in May, kind of. Like this kind of, of the start riding. of the season for yeah. most people, they're getting their bikes out of the garage and, sure. you know, it's when people start cutting their lawns and throwing grass clippings into the street and right. All right. that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so it, it's, you know, I mean, obviously we want people to be aware of motorcycles all the time, especially for people like myself who ride year round, but you know, it, it is a good thing, I guess, to have, you know, a month at the beginning of the major riding season, just kind of get people thinking about it. And, and actually one thing I'd heard recently, and I forget if it was another podcast or maybe something I read article on the internet but the suggestion was if you have kids or you know kids like you're driving around in the car play a game with them which is how many motorcycles can you find today which i thought was like a really cool idea because it's a way of training kids into the idea of looking for motorcycles right so years later when they're car drivers they'll just be accustomed to like oh you look around like where's the motorcycles kind of thing right because that's one of the big problems you know often when when there is some kind of an incident accident with a motorcycle in many cases you know if it involves a vehicle car something the car driver will say well i never saw you and you know sometimes that's fairly accurate and there's all kinds of you know physiological and psychological reasons that that can happen not to mention you know motorcycles are just smaller vehicles so you know un unless you've got a you know bright colored motorcycle with bright colored gear and flashing lights and all that you're you're not certainly as visible as the bigger vehicles which is what they're more concerned with and, and that's another interesting point too is they point out like as a driver of a car and i have to say same for myself obviously i look out for motorcycles and i want to make sure that they're safe but i'm more concerned about being hit by the semi you know that this this the semi 
truck or the garbage truck or something than I am about colliding with a motorcycle. <laughs> it's just, you know, in terms of personal safety, it's kind of a bigger issue. So, so you could understand. So, so everyone just kind of, you know, think with that, you know, do what you can spread the word, especially for people that don't ride, you know, just remind them, keep an eye out for, for those of us that are out on the road. So that actually gets me to my next question, Tony. So, and we chatted a little bit before we started recording. Um, you know, as you know, the, the main reason I started this podcast, although things are not shifting, but I'd say broadening, is I want to help get new people into the sport and activity of motorcycling, you know, or, you know, help, help new people find motorcycling. And then those that are getting started, you know, kind of help them out. So I always like to start, you know, when I'm interviewing people to just kind of talk about how, how they got going, because everyone's got a different, interesting story. So you're not riding right now, right? Sounds like there's a story with your motorcycle. Yeah. Um, amongst, amongst other things is, you know, my, my motorcycling is, is, uh, kind of stalled a little bit, but we can, uh, we can get more into that later, I guess. Um, as far as background, I, I, I guess I started the same way a lot of people did. My dad rode, um, when I was young, uh, and you know, he'd, he'd ride me around on the tank and, um, which my mom was not, not happy about at all. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, we, we, I grew up in, in Northern California. I was born in Sonoma and the Bay area. And there's a, a lot of riding in the Bay area. And, you know, it was, I, I saw a lot of motorcycles and my, my dad, you know, uh, total, you know, wild man rode around and, you know, cut off shorts and, and nothing else, you know, right. uh, that, that kind of thing. And, um, as I got a little bit older, uh, junior high and high school, I had friends that had dirt bikes and, rode a lot of dirt bikes and, and friends that had sport bikes. And, you know, I, I got to ride those. And, um, I, I, I actually, I shouldn't say rode. I crashed a, a lot is what okay. I did. Gotcha. Uh, so, uh, you know, at first out of lack of experience and then out of overconfidence, you know, yeah, sure. uh, 16 year old, 17 year old kid. Um, and the last bike that I rode as a younger person, I remember my, my uh when i first got together with my wife um we've been together for you know since we were kids i was she was 18 i was 20 Mm -hmm. and uh her cousin was a mechanic and we went over to their house and he had uh you know he'd do side jobs and he was working on somebody's ducati 996 and uh, i was like drooling over oh ducati oh man that's nice and you know he, he chucked me a helmet and said go for it take it for a ride and um you know I'd only ridden a bunch of little, little Hondas or, or, or older, you know, an older Katana and Ninja, you know, stuff like that. And I, right. I hopped on that Ducati and I made it about three blocks and I just knew this, I'm going to kill myself on this bike. There's no, mm-hmm. there is no way, no question, <laughs> no question about it. If I don't turn around right now, uh, I'm a dead man. And, yeah. and so I did, I turned around and parked it and I didn't think about bikes for, you know, years. Uh, uh it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, I, I saw, I don't even know how I came across it. I, I, I saw a kind of rat rod bobber, you know, that somebody had, had made out of a newer sportster, you know, just kind of stripped it down. And, mm-hmm. and, and for some reason that just spoke to me and I, I, you know, started looking it up and, and, um, checking out all the stuff people were doing and, and just, pretty quickly became obsessed um 
and and started going in. And at that time, uh, my kids were were a lot younger, and my wife, you know, she worked nights, I worked days to kind of mitigate the 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 uh, uh, daycare costs and whatnot. So it's was, it wasn't really a reality then, but I, I could obsess. You know, obsessing was free. Sure. Right. And uh, and I'm glad I had all that obsession time because when I started out, it was like. I got to have that Harley. That's it. I don't want anything else. That Harley, I, I, I want a Harley bobber. And then, you know, a couple months later, it was like, nope, uh, Ducati monster. It's got to be that. It, nothing. <laughs> you know, I don't want anything. Else. So I, went, I, I, I basically, I've come all the way through the gambit and, and now I want one of everything, you know? So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and just kind of slowly, uh, as it progressed, I, I went and took the MSF course and, and, you know, got my endorsement and, um, I've done some, you know, a, a bunch of uh, demo rides and stuff and my, my, you know, just kind of slowly getting more back in, into, to motorcycling. But it, it's, um, I'm kind of to the point where every time I try to do something, you know, with motorcycle, every time it looks like it's going to happen, something else happens, you know, right. so it's, the time and money ends up having to go somewhere else. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, even to the point where like I, I had a, a brand my dad bought me a brand new sportster, you know, uh, my, my, my stepmother passed last year and, and left some money and he, uh, God bless him. He decided to take some of the money that she left me and go buy me a motorcycle, you know, <laughs> uh, which is, which is awesome. But you know, it was like, uh, you know, I had a car that was kind of falling apart and some, you know, other stuff going on. And there's this $12,000 motorcycle sitting in my driveway and it's kind of like, uh, I can't really justify that, you know, and, and it just seemed, and, and I, I also, my stepfather passed away last year too. It's, it was a, man, it was a crappy year. And he, he left me his Harley FXR. It's a 1988 FXR low rider. It's a, a super cool bike. And I don't know how much you know about FXRs or, or your other listeners or stuff. No, not it, much. I, I know listeners, some of the listeners, yeah, that they're, they're big on Harleys. Yeah, totally. I like Harleys, but I don't, I just, I'm not, not, not that knowledgeable. So. Right. No. And, and the FXR is kind of a, kind of an odd duck for Harley. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's kind of a rare model. It was actually the, the first, and, and I'm sure there's going to be some listeners out there that'll correct me on this, but, uh, it was the first new model Harley came out with when they bought the company back from AMF. Okay. Um, it was the first bike to get the evolution engine, the modern engine. You could get it with a, a, a shovel head engine too, but it was the first one to get that modern engine. It was designed by Eric Buell. Mm-hmm. Um, so and from, the, from the, F, the FXR, the, the FXR was the FXR the, was yes. Okay. Yeah. That was his, his kind of first foray with Harley too. Um, and you know, they were all, they Harley only made them for about 10 years. Um, because they were expensive to make, they were all hand welded and hand wired and it was, you know, a sort of a labor of love and, and they're, they're for people that know the bike, they say, you know, it's the best handling Harley and it's the best, um, you know, just the best Harley out there. I don't have a lot of experience to compare that to, but I, I, I think it's cool because it, like I said, it's kind of a rare bike. So it is still unfortunately in California. And this is one of those things I was talking about where every time I try to go and get it and bring it back here uh something else happens and and it you know it's just kind of like uh you know the good lord's trying to tell me well you know maybe don't push it you know let it happen when it happens not yet yeah because it's my 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 kids are you know 12 and 15 and it's more emphasis on the family so 
basically yeah, all the time and all the time and money goes to the family and sure um it like and i say that like i'm broke or something I, I i'm not i have enough money in the savings account to go buy a brand new gs if i want but right. we we've trained ourselves to believe that we don't have that money you know that's mm-hmm. that's that savings and and that's it and it's you know so it's kind of like um the, the the FXR is not going anywhere. It's there for me when I when I'm able to go and get it. And I've got to do some work on it. It was my stepdad was in a wheelchair, so he had it set up as a trike. Mm-hmm. So I've got to kind of take the trike kit off and redo the okay. things. And it needs a little bit of stuff to 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 get up and going. And right now I live in a townhome. I, I don't have a a place to work on it or anything. And so it's right. you know, um, it's for me it's supposed to be a hobby. You know, and hobbies shouldn't be that difficult. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So when it when it's right, it'll 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 be right. But it, in the meantime, you know, I, I'm I'm still obsessed, and I still get to. Luckily, with the you know, the the community, the it, with the the motorcycle podcast, not just you know loud pipes, but your podcast and throughout and all these others, I I still get to to be involved. Be in, part of it, yeah. It, to be part of it, and and um, you know, which which by the way is is. Uh, I was, I was, I got to hang out with Rico from loud pipes. I don't know if it, how many. Yeah. I think I saw something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know if my listeners don't really know him and I know he's kind of on and off loud pipes. So he's been on and off, but he was in Seattle and I, I, you know, I dropped him a a message saying, Hey, if you want to, you know, uh, get together or I could just even tell you where to go, you know? Um, and, and, and he called me right away and was like, let's hang out. Let's do it. You know? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I went and hung out with him and, and, um, I was telling him and I, and I'll tell you too, that, that the whole motorcycle podcast community, it's just, it's kind of a magical thing. All the involvement that a listener gets to have, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't shoot your favorite TV star an email and expect to, Get to hear right. back from them, you know, uh, much less hang out or, or be on their show. Sure. So what, what you guys are doing and, and, and how, how well you make yourselves available to, to your listeners and to the community is a, it's a super, super cool thing and probably just indicative of the motorcycling community in general, I think. I, I think that's I think that's true. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, for sure, like doing a podcast, it takes time and it takes some money. You know, some podcasts, you know, they get listener support through Patreon or whatever. And eventually I think I'll do something like that. I'm not doing it yet. Um, you know, so it takes time and money. But I, I wanted to do this because just, you know, I, I started as listeners know, writing about three years ago. And the first place I turned was podcasts, you know, and so it was like loud pipes, throttled motorcycles and misfits. You know, eventually I found the cafe racer podcast. Um, I don't know, I'm sure there's a couple escaping my mind right now, but a couple others, uh, law abiding biker, you know, a whole bunch of others. And, you know, it was just so helpful. It was like, I just learned so much that I don't think I would have discovered otherwise. And, you know, you can sit at the computer and, and Google, you know, Google things and look on the internet and that's awesome, but you have to know what you're, you know, like, you know what you're looking for. But I would listen to a podcast while I was working or something and they'd mention like, whatever, airbag suits or this feature that just came out on a motorcycle or, or this thing. And it's like, wow, I never even heard of that thing. And so like what I started doing is, you know, I'd listen to a podcast for a while and then it, like throttled, for example, I remember when they first started with best best rest products, right? And to talk about right. the cycle pump and whatever, because because they were a sponsor. 
And I was like, let me go check this thing out. And I went to the website and I was like, wow, these guys really know what they're talking about. And they got this cool cycle pump thing. And I ordered one. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, like Kevin knows what he's talking about on throttle. And I was like, you know what? I've gotten so much out of listening. Let me start supporting him. You know, so I was like, okay. So I became a, a Patreon subscriber, you know, and, and, and spending a few dollars a month. And, you know, I did that with loud pipes and that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, the point I'm getting to is, now it got to the point where I'm like, okay, so I've gotten so much from this community. It's like, I want to start adding back to the community. And, you know, I want to do that in lots of different ways, which includes helping new people find motorcycling and get involved, but also talking to people like yourself who are involved and, and have their own viewpoint of things. And like you said, it's like, you know, whatever, like who who would ask me to come on TV and talk about motorcycles, right? But you start up a podcast and you say whatever you want. Like I could, <laughs> you know, I want to talk about things that want people want to hear about because I want to have listeners. But yeah, you pretty much do whatever the heck you want, and it, so it's very grassroots, I guess, is the point. It is. Um, and and so yeah, so uh, it's good to hear. Um, you know, like I said, it's it's awesome that you you know you had even emailed me you know before I even started asking people for feedback, which was great because it's it's funny I've mentioned with a podcast it's kind of weird because it's like it's a one way conversation like you you sit in front of a microphone like especially if you don't have a, a guest on and you talk 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 and it's like it goes out and you're like right, I guess people are listening I don't know that they like it they don't like it I don't know so it really it really helps to get an email that says hey you know I listened to such and such that I really like it um, you know we'll, we'll talk in a minute and one of the reasons you're on. You know, John Gardner, who was on uh, two episodes ago, right, uh, talking about the new motorcycle that he purchased. Like, he's a brand new rider. And, uh, you know, I got just an email from him one day saying, hey, Chris, I really love your content. You know, I, I want to get into motorcycling and I find yourself really helpful. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like, I didn't even know this guy was out there listening. You know, so it's it, it, it's very rewarding, I guess, is the point. So, yeah, so that, that's that's good to hear. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Um, so how long how long ago did you do the MSF course? to get your uh, endorsement uh, i want to say two years ago okay yeah. all, all the all the time that i rode in california i was not i was not licensed and yeah well i just heard the term dirty like um dirt, dirt, yeah like dirt, dirty riding, rider right i was riding dirty i was riding dirty for sure mostly you know, because i i would crash and have dirt all over me so yeah, <laughs> so double, double meaning <laughs> that's why yeah it's, it's actually interesting when when Gene and I did the MSF course three years ago, um, it was a pretty it was a pretty well rounded group of people, some younger people, older people, whatever. But there was a guy, uh, probably in his fifties, maybe late fifties, um, on a big old Harley, beautiful bike, you know, sounded awesome, right? And uh, I don't know, it was like the second day of the class or something. I forget how it came up exactly, but you know, he mentioned, well, like the reason I'm here, you know, is I've been riding for thirty years without a motorcycle license. And I, I don't know if he'd gotten some <laughs> tickets or whatever, but, but the point is, he's like, you know, I, I, I want to be legit now. Like I want to spend the time. I want, I want to see what I don't, you know, see what there is to learn that I don't know, even though I've ridden for 30 years, what's changed, you know, what's new in the world of motorcycling, whatever. And I want to be legit and get my license. And then it was funny because like right after that, the instructor goes, isn't that your motorcycle sitting out in the parking lot that you <laughs> rode here on? <laughs> And he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, but the guy, he did do very well. He passed the course. He got his endorsement. So so that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. How uh, how long ago were you doing, you know, riding frequently? Has it been some years now, or? Oh yeah, it's been yeah. quite some years. Probably, you know, since I was a teenager. Sorry, I'm trying to. Oh yeah, it's fine. Plug, plug the phone in here. Uh, um, losing battery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, since I was a teenager, probably my late teens is the last time 
I rode regularly and I'm, I, I just turned 40 last year. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a while. Um, right. and like I said, I, it, you know, there's been some demo rides and stuff here sure. and there sporadic. My dad, he bought, uh, uh, Harley last year and I, you know, you know, put it around on that a little bit and stuff. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing regular, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Now, I, I'm I'm sure that the situation you're in is probably frustrating from time to time, you know, wanting to ride and not having a bike. But as we're talking, one of the things I realized is your situation as a motorcyclist is kind of the safest one you could be in because right. <laughs> you, you, you talk about motorcycles and you know a lot about them and you whatever, hang out with people, but you don't, you're not on one right now. So you don't have the, <laughs> the danger. Right. That's associated. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So, it's you know, true. I, no, it's, you're yeah. not wrong. Um, um you know, I'm, I'm sure you want to get out and ride, but that, that's cool still that you're involved. And like you said, like, particularly like, especially when it comes to riding, and I've mentioned on past episodes, it's not a thing you rush. Like, you got to be in the right frame of mind to ride safe. You know, you got to be in the right frame of mind. Your bike's got to be in shape. Otherwise, you're just taking like unnecessary risks, you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, where, where luckily I am where I am in my life and, and, you know, I, I think about things like safety and, and, uh, you know, about, you know, getting instruction and doing things correctly. When I rode before, I mean, I, I didn't have any instruction at all. It was just kind of hop on and go and wing it. Yeah. And, 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 um, yeah. And, and, and it, like you said, it is, it is frustrating not to be out there, but not, you know, I, I it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's an honor to be a family man and to, to be able to, to sacrifice, you know, uh, for, for, for my family. And, and, um, you know, I, I learned that from watching my dad, like I said, he rode a lot yeah. when I was young and then mm. as things progressed and he, you know, he, he, he figured out he had to be more responsible and, and do all that sure. stuff. And, sure. um, you know, and my wife and I, we, we realized the same thing. She's got stuff she wants to do too, but it, it comes when it comes and, you know, which, listening to you has actually helped me out quite a bit because um i know you you didn't start riding till later on in life and you're 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 having a great time with it you i'm, I'm sure you're, Absolutely. You're, not, you're not sitting there kicking yourself saying oh you know why why didn't i do this before you're just you're just going for it and so it it is nice to hear that you know that yeah. it's not uh you know, I just, when you, when you want something now, you know, <laughs> no, of course, of course, you know, it's interesting because I mean, I, I don't, you know, I've learned to not regret anything in the past because there's, right. there's absolutely no point. Like, like all it does is it just upsets you to regret things. Right. So I finally got to a point in my life where I stopped regretting whatever, you know, from the past. Um, so yeah, no, I, I don't like regret having started later. I do think it would have been nice to have started sooner because I was, whatever, I just would have enjoyed it for that much longer. But, you know, now having found it, you know, my, my, my plan is to keep riding until I can't throw a leg over the motorcycle. Right. And then, and then when, if, and when that happens, then I'm going to figure out something, you know, whatever, I'll get a trike or I'll get sure. a spider or whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe we'll have hovering motorcycles by the time, you know, that yeah. that happens kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, so for sure, like I, you know, I've heard stories of, of people who start riding in their seventies yeah. or, or the, I forget her name, but there's a woman who, you know, she, she always wanted to ride a motor, uh, right. Race a motorcycle. And so yeah. like at age 70 or something, she started racing motorcycles. So it's like, there's no, you know, as, as long as 
you know, you got good mental faculties and you're sure. in reasonable physical shape. It's like, why, why not? Like why, what, what should stop you? Okay. Yeah. Maybe you're not going to race at 70 the way you would have at 20. Right. Okay, fine. But it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it as much. You can still race. So there, yeah. there was a guy at one of the demo days I went to a Yamaha demo day. Uh, he came rolling up on a, on a, uh, Ducati sport classic, you know, uh, not a comfortable bike by any stretch of means. Uh, and he he was he said he was eighty two year eighty one or eighty two years old, nice. and apparently, the, all the people there knew him because he had been at the demo day the day before, and he'd ridden like ten different bikes, and he came back that day to ride all the ones he hadn't ridden, you know. <laughs> and and the first one he got on that morning was a R one, so you know, nice. It, yeah, if you can if you can still physically do it, yeah. by all means. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I could understand too your your point about having a family and taking that as a first responsibility. I mean, I don't I don't have kids. G- Gina was similar. I mean, she she never rode like, you know, like had thousands and thousands of miles of experience. But, you know, when she was in her later teens, she had a bike and she hung out with people who rode and, you know, so she would ride with them, you know, small little trips or she'd ride on the back or whatever. But when she started her family and she's got three kids, you know, it, you know, she said it it's the kind of thing that you know, when you're a parent, you don't do that stuff. Um, you know, and, and obviously that's a personal thing. People have different viewpoints on that. You know, that was her viewpoint. Sounds like a little bit your viewpoint. You know, I see stuff on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. You know, actually, I just saw something recently of a, a pregnant woman riding a motorcycle. Right. <laughs> now, whatever, you know, everyone form your own opinion about it, um, you know, or whatever. Or, you know, a, a couple with young kids and, and they ride, you know, yes. it's, well, I have a personal choice. Like you got to figure yeah, out, and and it's it's not for the, yourself. What's the right thing? You know, right? No, and it's not the riding itself. It's more the the time and the the, the money that you know. Like it, I look at a uh, you know a new bike. A, a, it's ten grand or something. That yeah. you know, I could have that bike, or I could take my family to Europe. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. It's it's just it's every time I I look at you know, what I could, what I could do, what I could get into it. It's always like, you know, if basically if it's not something that, that benefits the whole family yeah. and it's, it's, it's kind of not on my radar, um, which, you know, to a degree, I, I, I don't want that to go on forever because I want my kids to see, uh, you sure. know, to see us living out our dreams too, so that they get that, yeah. that, you know, sense of, okay, I can live my dreams. I don't have to, you know, just, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to let him see the best of both. My dad, man, when he, when he, you know, got responsible, he got, he sacrificed everything, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's, you know, he just turned 62 and, they, and he's finally just now getting his Harley. And I think I learned that a lot from watching him. And, um, and I, and I think it's great that, that, that sacrifice, but at the same time, you know, within the next couple of years here, we need to be, my wife and I, we both need to be sort of living out our dreams so that our kids right. see that that's important. Sure. No, so that's a really good point. And I mean, the other thing too, of course, it factors in is just the, the safety issue. Like I, I know yeah. that's a, con- a concern for some people is it's like, well, it is. you know, if I get out on a motorcycle, I risk, you know, maybe not huge risk, but I risk killing myself. And yeah. what does yeah. that do for my kids kind of thing? So well, I and, and, really, really good life insurance. So, 
Okay. Well, I mean, that's a way to handle it too. Like, cause it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, for anyone who's interested, I forget the episode number. I can put it in the show notes, but, uh, on throttled, we, we did an episode and the title I was, was just going to mention that yeah, the ethics of motorcycling or something like that. And this is one of the, the subjects we talked about. And I don't think there was any specific conclusion cause it's the kind of thing that people, like I said, have to decide for themselves. But sure. you know, the discussion was like, you know, if you're a parent, is it an irresponsible thing to be a motorcyclist, you know, and, you know, I said, I can see the argument both ways, you know, for me personally, if I had kids, you know, and, and like, let's say I was riding motorcycles and had kids the way I see things, I would not have stopped. Now that's easy to say, cause I don't have kids. And maybe right. if I actually did, I would come to a different conclusion, but just because of what you said, like my belief is, you know, part of raising kids is setting a good example for them and showing them, you know, helping them find who they are and what what they want to become and help steer them in that direction i think part of it is just showing like fulfilling your dreams and like having goals and things that you like to do so you know obviously you know you do sacrifice things for loved ones but it's like okay where do you draw the line it's it's interesting it it becomes an ethics and a moral kind of thing you know so yeah but uh okay cool so um other question i had for you so so you mentioned especially i guess younger when you were starting out riding you you had some offs on the motorcycle various motorcycles and things you ever have any serious crashes you know where you got hurt seriously or no it all- I, I don't i don't know how i mean it's just by the grace of god because i i had some pretty fast offs and some pretty um you know on 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 the dirt and, and never proper gear you know a helmet right uh, but but never proper gear and and like i said by the grace of god i never really you know, a little bit of road rash here and there, some bumps and bruises, but nothing, nothing major. Mm-hmm. But I, I know what it feels like to crash. I, I definitely know what it feels like to crash a bike. And, right. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's all part or, of you know, sixteen and seventeen year old body compared to comes back quicker. I know. That's yeah. Just, so yes. that's so had I had stuff. those had I had those same crashes now, it might be a totally different story. Yeah. Sure. It's it's interesting because, you know, I watch a lot of motorcycle racing and it's actually kind of interesting to see, like I had recently seen an interview with Danny Pedrosa, you know, who was racing in MotoGP and he retired this season, or I guess he retired the end of last season. Really good documentary. Um, maybe I'll also try to put that in the show notes. But I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know his age. He might be mid 20s, late 20s. He might even be 30 or something like that. But the guy was really successful as a racer. But to have them kind of go back at the various crashes that he had and the number of surgeries and things that he had, you know, he had like a, a, a scar like down the whole inside of one of his arms because he had broken a bone that they had to cut him open to fix. And so the point is being it's like you know, I look at those things and I go, wow, like motorcycle racing is cool. I, I respect the people that do it. But what it does to their, like, even the, the good guys, like the top guys, what it does to their bodies, like, you know, what's the repercussions going to be yeah. when, they're, when they're 60, 70, you know, and they got all this metal and screws and stuff in their body and <laughs> the potential for arthritis. And, like, it's, it's pretty, pretty wacky to think about. You look at guys like John McGinnis, even. Oh, with, hell, yep. John yep. McGinnis is, is maybe mid 40s or something. And yep. you watch that guy walk around and it's, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, he looks like he's 100 years old. And the, uh, the what was was it last year or two years ago? He had the crash where they basically had to put his yeah. leg back together, right? Like he yeah. had this big metal cage around his leg to with the pins to stabilize the bones. Yeah. But yeah, well, I guess that's a whole that's a subject for another episode. But right. I, I, I could go on. I could go on for hours talking about that stuff. Sure, sure. 
Um, all right. So before we get on to kind of the, the main thing we were going to talk about, just based on your experiences, do you have any suggestions for new riders? You know, if someone came to you and said, hey, Tony, you know, I'm, I'm going to start motorcycling, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anything in particular you'd tell them to do or, or not to do? Um, one of the things that I did that I think helped. Well, I rode a, a lot of uh, bicycling. I did a lot of bicycling when I was younger, yeah. a lot of. A lot of BMX. I even raced, you know, for a little while. Not very well, but I, you know, for a little while as a younger guy, and and learning that balance, and even actually, um, kind of in between riding spells, I I had a scooter. I rode a scooter for a little while, and uh, everybody wants to to make fun of the scooters, but I I before you get on and have to learn the clutch and the you know everything else. Yeah. To, to 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 learn the balance from a scooter and and to learn kind of how a bike feels when it and you know most of them are 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 really underpowered and they're they're super approachable as far as you know hopping on and going and um a, a little bit of experience on something that a isn't very fast and b that you don't really have to do very much with to get it right. to go mm-hmm. just just to learn that balance and 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 learn those things um then getting onto a bike and having and learning the clutch and all that stuff uh you don't you don't have to pay attention to two things at the same time you don't have to pay attention to balancing and trying to shift and learn right. that you know it it for me at least it helped me um help me learn that and also if you've never driven a manual car uh drive a manual i mean my first several cars you know i they don't hardly even make manuals anymore unless you want a Porsche or Ferrari or something right but that that experience of shifting and, and, and stuff too. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's different, way different on a motorcycle, obviously, right. but it still translates a little bit friction zone and things like that translate over to motorcycles. So yeah, I would say get some experience with the manual shift transmission any way you can and mm-hmm. uh, a little scooter action and yeah. yeah. And definitely sure. MSF it in, in the state of Washington, they don't do, you don't get a permit or anything like that. They don't, they, they've kind of farmed everything out to, uh, and I think I, I've heard Kevin talk about this some other States, they do this. Uh, basically in, in Washington, you go to a private organization, the DMV has nothing to do with your, with your, your testing or anything like that. Oh, wow. So okay. You go to the private organization, you, you do the two days of riding or whatever, take your test and then they give you a little card that you take to the DMV and, and you get your license. I know in other States, like in California, you can get a permit and you can ride on a permit forever, you know, mm-hmm. without having to get a license, but, uh, and without having to take an MSF course, but I, I think they're great. They're really important. They're, they're a place where you can, you know, screw up for a couple of days without, uh, totally without really big impact and hurting yourself. So, yeah. 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 I mean, one of, one of the things I've talked about is how, you know, the, the MSF, like the basic rider course is awesome. I, I agree with you. I, I think anyone who wants to ride should take some kind of training like that. Admittedly, when you pass that course, it does not really make you a competent road rider. And, you know, and, and so actually this is kind of a good segue, right? Because one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight is, you know, you had sent me a really cool email after listening to episode number eight, which in which I interviewed new rider and new motorcycle owner G4, which is a 
his nickname, John Gardner the Fourth. Um, and so, you know, you had some really cool things to say and just ideas related to what we talked about there. And in particular, him being a new rider and how that relates to, you know, what we talk about, like building the motorcycle community and, and doing what we can to help expand, you know, the, this, this activity of motorcycling. But it, it's interesting. It's a kind of a good segue because you were talking about, you know, driving manual transmission. And it's one of the things he and I talked about on that episode. I asked him about that. Did he have experience with manual transmission car? And, and he said no. And actually, he thought not having experience helped him, which is kind of interesting because I the reason I asked him is because I also had manual car experience before I learned to ride. And I kind of felt it helped me because I had I had the understanding of what the what the clutch and everything does in a manual trans with a manual transmission. Uh, but the point he made was what you're saying is it is different. Right. So in a car you know, you don't have a wet clutch, you know, you basically, you don't, and you don't slip the clutch. And I remember getting yelled at by an engineering friend of mine, you know, I was, I don't know, at a stoplight or something. He's like, what are you doing? It's like, you, you, you got to fully disengage the clutch. You're letting it slip. You're going to burn out your clutch, right? Um, you know, where on a motorcycle, it's designed to slip, you know, and you actually use that as a mechanism, especially for like slow speed maneuvers and stuff. But, um, so yeah, so so in that episode, you know, and, and listeners, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. I, I thought it was really good, and uh, it was really good talking with John. Um, but basically, so he just recently got his uh, motorcycle endorsement. It wasn't MSF, but in uh, Pennsylvania, they actually used the Total Control Training Program. Uh, but he did get his motorcycle license endorsement, and uh, like a couple days later, he finished the paperwork and he bought himself a brand new uh, Yamaha. Tracer 900 GT, which uh, which is really kind of cool. It, it's an interesting, not an interesting choice, not in a bad way, but it's like the fact that you know, it's a fairly expensive bike and brand new bike. And so we kind of talked about, you know, as, as a new rider, why did he choose to go that way? And, you know, what's the benefits? What's the pros and cons of doing that for a new rider? Um, but so what I want to kind of get into, so, okay, so here's this guy, this new writer, and you had some kind of interesting points about some of the things that, that he and I talked about. Uh, so one thing you mentioned, and maybe you can get into, give a little detail about, you know, how, how this is the case, but you mentioned that you, you have, you, you do a lot of work, you have a lot of, a lot of experience with like college age kids, right? Or kids, I guess, late, late teens, early twenties kind of thing. Yeah. I, um, I worked for the, the university of Washington, out here in the the housing department for about four years and, um, you know, was around college kids, you know, uh, every day for, for, for that whole time. And, um, so yeah, you know, from, from 18 on and actually some graduate students too. So a little bit older, but, uh, the majority of them were, were 18 to, you know, 22 or 23. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Uh, I would come into some of the, cause the, the, the unit that I worked for took care of all the apartment buildings that the university owned. So I didn't, I didn't do work in the dorms necessarily, but the, the university owns about 10 apartment buildings and, um, uses them for student housing. And, you know, sometimes I would come into these apartments and I'd look on the, the, you know, they'd give them little whiteboards and in the yeah. beginning of the year, it's like, uh, everybody's getting to know each other and they, all the roommates and they, so some people would write on the board, you know, their birthdays. And I was looking at some of them going, oh, my God, I, that's when I graduated high school. And, you know, this this kid was a baby when I was right when I was 18. So yeah. it was uh, it was kind of funny. But, yeah, I did. I did uh, get to kind of, you know, uh, interact with a lot of, 
younger people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess so they, they would be in the age range of what we consider millennials. Right? Yeah, I, Pretty see, much. I don't know. And and because I remember I remember doing a little Google on it, so I, I think if if I know John's approximate age, I think he's kind of at the very end of that like time period that's considered millennial. Um, actually, let me let me just do a quick Google here. Like he's at the young end, you mean? The what did he say? He said he was twenty. Yeah, right. The younger. I I don't know if he ever gave us his age, but um, yeah. yeah so I th- I thought I heard him say twenty three. Um, okay. Yeah. Could be. I I could be wrong. Okay. So. Here, according to my friend Google, the PewResearch.org website says anyone born between 1981 and 1996, ages 23 to 38. Right. Okay. So, so he's kind of at the end, I guess, of that, that, that period. But, but so the reason that's interesting is, right, so what I'm kind of getting to, what Tony and I are kind of getting to here is so, you know, on, on Loud Pipes and Throttle and various, various podcasts, you know, we talk about what's kind of going on in the motorcycling community and um, you know, what's happening. Cause in certain ways it, it feels like things are shrinking and, and kind of getting smaller, you know? So for example, like I mentioned in a past episode, you know, people look at Harley Davidson sales numbers and being that Harley Davidson, you know, 50, they're basically 50% of the motorcycle sold in the United States. Right. So people look at their number sales numbers being down. It's like, well, so obviously the motorcycle industry industry is shrinking. Now there's different numbers and things. And, you know, you look at like sales in other countries, like in Europe, at least I think like it was BMW last year, like their sales were up certain places like India where motorcycles were, well, not just motorcycles, two wheeled vehicles, especially small displacement motorcycles and scooters and things are huge. Like they, they, you know, I don't know the numbers, but they way outrank the number of cars on the road. You know, the sales are increasing there. So it depends on the region, like the market that you're looking at. But so the point is, so there's this talk about, well, so what do we do to try to help one, you know, keep the industry alive and two, even better, help it expand kind of thing. So, you know, there's a lot of talk and especially Harley Davidson seems to have targeted a lot of their marketing and recent activities towards millennials and things. And, you know, so you have them like coming out with the new electric motorcycle, the live wire, right, which was anticipated for a long time. And it's like, okay, well, in part, like that's new and it's cool and it's high tech and maybe more what millennials are are looking for and that kind of thing. So I guess, like, I guess the question is, so what, what, so what's your thoughts on that? Like, but based on some of the things, you know, you had written in your email to me and just listening to what, you know, G4 and I had discussed, like, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Cause I know you had some good points. Uh, yeah. I, you know, you do see Harley, uh, um, trying, like you said, trying to market more towards younger people and millennials and stuff like that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on Harley. Everybody does it, you know, all, all the, oh, sure. yeah. um, but you know, they, they try to market one way and, and in the, in their little, you know, commercials and stuff that you see, uh, you know, it's, it's young hip people and, and, uh, you know, they, they're trying to design kind of their fashion towards that, but then you go into a dealership and it's, a, it's totally different. It's, it's kind of the same. It's, it's always been, you know, it's the same, same old guys that ride in to get their hot dogs and it's the same, you know, guys that it, it it's, you know, like it's not transferring from corporate down to, down to main level. Right, right. Um, and, and, you know, Triumph does it too. Indian, you know, that you see more, you know, or cr- cruiser style bikes or, or sort of, uh, you know, even some of the, the scrambler, you know, style bikes, they, they really right. try to push that hard towards young people. And, um, 
and I and I just don't I I don't think they should, and I think uh, G four is a really uh, good example of that. Um, and you and I talked about this before. He might be kind of an outlier. He was, you know, he's twenty three going on on fifty. You know, he he, he sounds like a, a real you know mature kid. And 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 um, but I don't think that that mar- I don't think that the younger generation and millennial. I don't think they're looking for the lifestyle. I don't think they're looking for. Uh, a motorcycle as an accessory, you know, or, or a leather jacket. G4 bought his bike, you know, and like I like I told you that that is not the key demographic for for marketing uh, for for that bike. You know, they're not. I don't think Yamaha is trying to market the MT09 Tracer to 23 year old kids. You know, right? Um, but he bought it based on what he wants to do, the things that he likes to do in his current lifestyle. Not, you know, he's not he's not trying to go after some other lifestyle. He's trying to add to what he already has in his right. lifestyle. And he bought that bike based on the fact that he likes to travel and take you know adventure a little bit. And I think he, you know, he, he said he's, he kind of is into photography and stuff. I, mm-hmm. I think and, and, and the railroading, railroading stuff, which is sure. like, like he's wants to go all these places in Pennsylvania that you right, know, have right. a, like, I, a, like I a popular, you know, yeah. The storage and the comfortability of the, the upright ride. And it's funny because, uh, at my, at my job, there's a guy who has a FJ 09, the, the, the predecessor, you know, to the, mm-hmm. basically the tracer, same thing. Right. And, and he rides every day and I've never seen him. I always just see the bike parked. And, and finally I saw him, walking up to his bike the other day and I stopped and talked to him about it. And he was a young guy too. He was, he couldn't have been, you know, he was under 30 for sure. And furthermore, if, if we're going to generalize, he, he looked like a guy that should have been in the Harley campaign, you know, he, he, you know, kind of, uh, more, I don't know. He had tat, you know, tattoos yeah, on his yeah. neck and stuff. He's mm-hmm. wearing a flame. He, lo- he looked like he would have been at home on, on a, uh, you know, a street bob or something um but here he is getting on this bike and he said he loves it because he rides every day he rides all through winter everything and he said that bike is really it handles it really well he commutes on it you know and and it 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 does speak to like what i was saying they're not i don't think they're going to choose products based on an ad campaign that the younger folks and i'm generalizing huge here because i don't yeah well no person out there but i just know what I saw from working at the college, uh, the, these kids that went to the college, they did whatever they want. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean like, you know, if they got it in their head that they want, like there was a, a some guys in one of the apartments that had a, a Bitcoin farm going on. You know, a bunch of servers and uh, and and so you know, I got to talking to them and I asked, oh, you guys in computer science? And no, they didn't. You know, it wasn't even there their field of study or anything like that. They just heard about it and wanted to do it and they did it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we live in that, that those times, like, you know, YouTube uni- university, I say it all the time. You, anything you want to do, you can figure it out and do it. And, right. and these kids, they really take that to heart. They do anything they want to do. They, if they want to build something, they build it. If they want to, you know, figure something out, they figure it out. So. And that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just no. had the thought, you know, it's interesting because like one of the things that's become very popular during this, probably longer, but to me at least a couple of years, is this 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 phrase of you know the the makers like being a maker, sure. right? Like people who, and and also like the whole thing of like life hacks, right? That like that, that's a fairly new concept too, which I think goes along with what you're saying. Is it's like you just want to do something, and you just like figure it out, 
Yeah. And, and, and you invent stuff and you create stuff out of whatever resources you have, you know, and now you're getting into all this cool stuff with 3D printers and being able to easily make prototypes. And it's like this idea of, you know, you no longer have to like amortize things, I guess, with mass producing tens of thousands of units, you know, you can actually like, you just have an idea and, and there's the, the tools and whatnot to just kind of throw it together. Like you said, with this Bitcoin farm, right? The, I guess they got some computers and they found some software and you plug it all together and poof, there you go. <laughs> like there they, there they went. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And, and so t I think traditional marketing, especially for motorcycles and motorcycling. Um, and again, I do go back to brands like Harley and Indian and Triumph because those are our heritage brands and they're, they're, they right. are kind of lifestyle brands. If you look at them mm -hmm. um, to a degree and I, and that's, that's I, I just don't think that kind of marketing is going to work. Yeah, and that's interesting, actually, right? So, like, what's what's starting to happen? Because I, I agree with you. Like, I guess one of the reasons, you know, I, I'm not like a Harley fan. You know, I've, I've never owned a Harley. I, I rode a Sports to 1200 out in Vegas. I rented one, which was cool. And I've sat on a bunch of Harleys. Like, I like Harleys. I think they look cool. I think they sound great. But it was never, like, my thing, quote, unquote. And even though, like, I'm I'm far from being in the millennial age group, right? But maybe for me personality wise is a similar thing. Like I, I never like the lifestyle was never a thing. Like it wasn't like, Oh wow. Like, you know, you get a Harley and then you get to, you know, you bar hop and you wear a leather vest and chain wallet and all that kind of like cool right. stuff, whatever that, that goes along with it. It was just nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't something that whatever that, that occurred to me. Right. Um, but, but so you do see this shift now a little bit, like with some of these bikes, right? So like Harley, with the live wire, you know, the electric coming out. So that's kind of a big thing. Cause that's, that's a, that's a shift. Now um, it will remain to be seen how well that bike does. Right. Because presumably Harley's figured it out. I mean, they seem to have very smart people running the company. Now, if you just look at all the different things they've been doing over the past couple of years, but we won't know till the sales figures start coming out, if they hit the mark with that. Right. And, and some of the criticism, you know, I've heard is it's just too expensive, you know, like the, the people, the younger people for whom the, presumably that motorcycle is going to appeal are probably not going to spend 30 grand on a motorcycle. You know, yeah. they might spend money to rent a motorcycle because you know, that's another thing too. Like if, and, and I think it kind of fits in with this whole millennial generation and the way things have shifted over the years to this more of not owning things so much as using services, right? So you've got like Lyft and Uber and all this, you know, for ride sharing you know, you've got companies where, you know, you can take your car and share it out. There's more and more possibilities now, even with motorcycles. You know, it's not so much for ride sharing, but you've got like a Twisted Road and Rider Share or something, I forget, right? Where you can actually go rent, you know, someone else's motorcycle. You got Airbnb, you know, you got all this stuff where it's like you don't have to own things. It's just like if you can fit it in your budget, you know, you just go, you spend this much money every month and you can stream your video and you can get around town in a car and like whatever else you need to do. Right. So it's kind of interesting. So it'd be curious to see with the live wire. And then, you know, Indian seems to be doing the similar thing, like with the FTR 1200. Now, okay, not an electric bike, but it's still that to me, it's like that street fighter kind of cool, like, you know, run around town kind of thing, but kind of, you know, it's kind of, technology looking it's new whatever and you know there they're taking from their heritage in racing right and it's largely modeled after the flat track bike and their success in racing and stuff like that so it's kind of interesting to see that switch now you mentioned triumph i guess for triumph it would be more 
the scrambler or something, right? It would be kind of their scrambler, the, the, the kind of the, the cafe racer crowd, you know, right, right. um, and that, and again, that sort of lifestyle and, and mode of dress. And my wife and I, we went to, to, uh, the 2019, you know, new model launch at Triumph here in Seattle. And, um, the majority of the people there were my age or, or older and they were all just kind of, you know, mods and rockers kind of, you know, the whole day. And, and again, I, I'm not knocking any of that lifestyle stuff. I think it's great. It, you, you find your, you know, you, you get in where you fit in. Right. But, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah. And, and triumph like Harley and like Indian is going to run out of buyers pretty soon in that, in that age bracket and stuff. And, and um, so it's, and, and, like you said, people are they're, they're Some of these companies are putting out bikes that would appeal more to younger people, I think. Um, but, but even that, I, I understand their business and that's what they got to do. They got to go after the young market, but they, they probably do better by just not going, just making bikes, you know, don't not going after a certain segment, just putting out bikes and seeing who likes it. And, and obviously you know, we see things like the live wire and stuff like that. And we think that, you know, Harley's putting that out for a younger kid, for, for a younger crowd and the, because of the technology on it. But I think all bikes are leaning more towards that technological edge, mm-hmm. regardless uh, of who they're, you know, uh, of, of what the, the, you know, the demographic is for that particular bike as the, as the technology comes along, they're slapping it on bikes either way. And I think, Sure. You know, that that will get noticed by people who are more uh, prone towards technology. But then you got, like you said, the maker kind of thing in lifestyle. There's a lot of people going after vintage stuff, too, and, and um, things that where th- things that they can actually take apart and work on themselves. And, um, you know, so you, you see like 10 years ago, you could go on Craigslist and get, a, you know, a CB750 for nothing you know mm-hmm. now right. you go on there and you know people are, are buying them and turning them into cafe bikes and doing different things with them and i i think there as much as technology plays a role with with the younger people they they want something tangible too my son is is 15 and uh, you know he 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 wants to take everything apart if, or if it's got buttons he wants to touch right. the uh I, I've talked to him about motorcycling and, and he would love to build one, but I, he probably doesn't want to ride it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think there is all the, all the technology out there and all the things that are, you know, uh, kind of in this cyberspace and things like that. Um, I think are, are pushing younger people towards more tangible things, towards wanting to do things themselves and build things themselves and, and do something, mechanical um so you know it's gonna there's probably gonna be a good balance the the bikes that are coming out now you know you've got a good but even the even some of the smaller displacement uh cheaper bikes you look at like the the ktm the 390 duke you know right uh new bike under five thousand or that's probably a little over five thousand but you know it's got a tft dash on it it's got you know ride modes and it's so you're i think they're 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 getting towards a little bit more of of both and and so people who like me i i the bikes that i've ridden that have ride modes and things like i have no idea what to do with that i, mm-hmm. I you know the technology wigs me out but uh for for the younger kids i think they're gonna understand i mean you look at them you know i had to 
even t- tonight when we were talking, you know, we were, we were going to get set up on the, on my computer with the USB mic and stuff. I had to hand it over to my son. I didn't know what yeah, to do. With, you right. know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's just, I think young people will ride motorcycles, you know, but you, you look around more and I don't know, maybe it's just my area or maybe, uh, I, I don't know. I can't say it's indicative of all young people, but my, like my son and his friends, by the time I was 15, man, I had nine cars picked out that I wanted to drive, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and everybody that I knew did too. And, and, you know, it, it, there was a lot of emphasis on that, having cool cars. And there's like, and, and I see him and his buddies, they don't care. They just, they just want to drive whatever will work, you know, right. Get where they're going for whatever whatever going. the the adventure is going to be, and that that's interesting exactly. too because that's what I've heard people talk about is you know for for the newer generations it's more about the experience like like yeah. what can you do and where can you go and whatever how you get there and all that that's not that that's not that yeah. important it's like what can you experience you know what what cool video can you put on Instagram you know what uh, what photos or whatever can you take and share kind of thing and it's even interesting too like I had never thought about this but when you look at some of the features now, like Facebook and Instagram and I guess Snapchat, which I've never used, but I've heard of it, right, is this idea of of short duration media and stuff, right? Like, you know, I'm accustomed to, you know, computers. That's what I do for a living, right? It's like you, you save a, a, a Word document and it's there forever, right? You, you ever want to go, you can go get it. And, you know, all of us, right, you take pictures with your your phone or whatever and you got like 8 million pictures are sitting there, right? And And now is this thing of, not in all cases, right? But it's like these abilities to just like, well, I'm just going to make this little video. I'm going to take these pictures and I'm going to put them out there for whoever sees it before it disappears yeah, and and vaporizes, which I think also aligns with that concept of it's more just about the experience and it's more about like, it's more about now and what's happening now and forget the past where that's where the heritage comes, right? It's like the heritage and the lifestyle and the tradition and all that stuff, you know, right? Because that's been a criticism of Harley is the technology never changes. And when the technology changes, then, you know, the people who are the big Harley fans don't like it because you change something, you know, they're, so it's kind of going from Harley's the traditionalism to this, on. this, I don't know what to call it, like this uh, not lasting foreverism <laughs> kind of Right. Thing. No, and they, they do. They get put in a, you know, the, in a hard spot, Harley does, because. Oh, they, sure. Yeah. Because they do have that heritage and they do have that that fan base that's been loyal for so long. And then, and now, and they have, but they have to change. They have to try to do new things. And you look at the, the live wire, you know, people are like, wow, that's a big step for Harley. But if you go back 20 years, the Buell was a huge, you know, those first Buell sport bikes too. people right. were saying the same big thing. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, you know, I don't think those bikes were necessarily on the expensive end. Um, but they got bought up like hotcakes, you know, and they're still around. You can get Buells. Oh, you know, those, the yeah, there's there's definitely Buell enthusiasts. Like there is, yeah. yeah. And 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 the live wire is expensive. It's no no kid's gonna buy that. No, you know, hardly any adults I know could buy that. Yeah. But and and here's another thing where Harley was able to get a, a lot of customer base before where they won't now is financing. I don't know that the younger generation is as interested in in getting into debt as. Right you know, the rest of us were, or are, you know, um, I think, you know, people, if you talk about millennials that are, that are probably now in their late twenties or early thirties, these are, these are people that, you know, we're kind of pushed to go to college all these years, got to go to college, got to go to college, mm-hmm. got to go. And they get, you know, 
they, they, they get themselves so much student loan debt and right. come out of college and realize that, you know, it's not like you just get to go right into a job, uh, you know, and especially with the, you know, the economic downturn in the, the late 2000s, you know, people were holding on to their jobs longer. They weren't retiring. So a lot of these college kids came out and didn't have any, you know, so here they have, you know, this degree in, in business and they've got, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in student loans and they right. got to go work at Starbucks. There's no, you know, and so I think th- those people are definitely more gun shy about, about taking on debt and good on yeah. them, you know, uh, but Harley has always had real easy financing. You know, anybody could walk into a Harley dealership and they, they, they made it happen for you. And, 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 you know, I remember a, an ad maybe, you know, five or 10 years ago or so where people were talking about, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm riding Harley and it's, you know, it's only costing me four bucks a day, you know, that's right. A cup of coffee or whatever. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and, and so they, they were able to get a lot of customer base out of that because you could, walk into a dealership and walk out with a bike, no matter what your credit, what, you know, they have their own financing. So it's, mm-hmm. um, but, but that's not, I don't think that's as appealing to, to younger kids, especially the ones who've watched their parents struggle with debt and struggle with going through right. financial stuff. So, you know, that's, that's another thing they're going to have to deal to, with. To reconcile with. You know, yeah. And it's interesting too the thing, the point you made about people buying used bikes, because that, does you know from the things i've seen and we've talked about seems to be where there is growth is is you know like used bike sales are up like people are more interested in used bikes and like you said you know someone's looking for a used bike they hey i want to get this model bike it's like wait wait a second it's like five hundred dollars more than it was like a couple months ago right kind of thing right because they're 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 appreciating because they're you know they're, they're more popular kind of thing so i don't know like maybe in part like like we said between between the affordability and you know, unless, you know, you're going to restore something to be pristine, right, where you're going to show it or something. In general, with a used bike, you're not going to be so concerned about dropping it or it gets stolen or something happens, right? And, you know, if, if it's not too expensive, you're not going to have payments on the thing. You're going to own it outright. And so maybe the thing, you know, this whole maker mentality, maybe the thing really is the aftermarket now where, you know, the growth opportunity is companies that provide all the cool aftermarket parts and accessories and things that people could just take an inexpensive affordable bike and just make it whatever the heck they want you know yeah. i don't know well you look at companies like revzilla i mean yeah 10 years ago they were nothing now they're sure. you know top of the heap so you're absolutely right companies like Biltwell or lowbrow all these places you know they're they're making a killing right now off of that stuff to the point mm-hmm. where they're able to to really kind of i don't know almost influence the way things are going and and um so yeah revzilla is a perfect example of that uh, and that's interesting too, because I don't remember. I think it was the Indian. The uh, let me think. Something I had seen on Indian. Um, I don't know if it was an article I had read or something I heard on a podcast. It was actually was with the guy who led the design team for the Indian Scout. Or actually, maybe it was actually the Indian motorcycles when when Polaris went from Victory to Indian. Maybe that's what it was. So he was kind of the design chief for the new bikes. And anyway, the, the point is that. He said that when they were designing those bikes, they spent a lot of time studying the custom bike scene and looking at what was it that people did to customize bikes and what was it they wanted as a base frame or, or a base setup or model to customize. And he, he claimed that they factored that a lot into the bikes that they put together because they wanted that they wanted the custom guys to take these bikes and, you know, 
soup them up and make them really cool and, you know, make them, you know, kind of what they wanted, you know, in their, in their vision of things. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was an interesting move. There is, there is, I mean, Gina's got that scout 60, right? Scout 60. Yep. Yeah. There, you know, there's, there's catalogs now. She could, she could change that way, that thing, you know, 10 ways from Tuesday if yeah. tomorrow, you know, if she wanted it. Yeah. Although it is interesting because one of the points that Rich from Loud Pipes has made is although you see a lot of customization of that bike, it's very hard to change the basic look just because of the de- design. Because it's got this, you know, the frame is this metal spine that the engine hangs from. And, you know, the, the motor has a very distinctive look and that's it's a very distinctive shape to the frame that's yeah. kind of difficult to change unless you're going to use a, a new frame so it's kind of like a little limited what you can do with that way but in terms of yeah all the you can get the handlebars and windshields and yeah. luggage and you know all that kind of stuff um and you know going back to what you were saying about like financing and stuff w- one of the reasons because she was looking at harley's too one of the reasons she went with the the scout 60 from indian you know and granted you know this is when indian was still trying to well, i guess they still are but they're very serious about getting a foothold right in the in the industry so they had an incentive right but you know she bought that thing with a 7 year 0% interest loan from indian so it's like well okay well it's free money so <laughs> why not <laughs> you know yeah yeah no that's that's definitely one way to slide past harley yeah so yeah yeah so um i just kind of curious so you know, one one of the things you had mentioned was that you know the the, the bike, right? The Tracer nine hundred GT, the G four bought, wasn't the kind of bike that you would normally associate like a person like him buying, right? Um, although we did say that in his case, you know, he, he purchased that motorcycle based on his goals, like what he wants to do, what he needs a motorcycle for. Forget lifestyle and like image and all that kind of thing. It's like he's he's got a very clear idea of what he wants to do with it. And so he found a bike that's suitable for that, right? But I'm just curious, like what do you think, like looking at Yamaha's lineup, like what would you say in, in Yamaha's lineup currently is what Yamaha thinks is like the mainstream bike for people his age? You know, is it the R3? Is it... They, they so probably the the MT09 or um, the, their kind of uh, modern classic uh, like the XSR 900. Mm-hmm. I would okay. think they would or or XSR 700. Same thing, MT07. Uh, I I would imagine if a young person came through the door, that's kind of the where they'd be herding them to, or possibly the R3 if they're they're a newer rider, like you said. Um, th- they. There's, they have some cruisers too, like the Bolt is kind of a, a sportster style bike. Uh, right. You know, I could, I could see, and there, there's some different variations on there. There's kind of a cafe and a scrambler version of that. So I imagine if, if, uh, if, if I, you know, if you were 23, 24 years old and you walked into a Yamaha dealership, that, that either they would assume that's what you're looking for already, or they'd probably try to, try to push you in that direction. direction. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. certainly not the, the tracer GT, you know, mm-hmm. uh, right. Well, that's a cool bike. It's, it's, it's a, nice, it's a great yeah, bike. Nice, nice looking bike. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I, I'd love to have one myself. Uh, and, and good for him. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I kind of look at like, like the XSR 700 XSR 900 is kind of like that urban street, you know, scrambler, like urban street fighter kind of thing, which I think is kind of like what the Harley Livewire is like, the FTR, Indian FTR 1200, even um, what's that new 
the Harley's going to be coming out. I think it's next year, right? The, like, well, Street Fighter maybe is what they're going to call it. So it's it's all you know that 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 kind of styling. That's interesting too because the FTR 1200, I think, is mid twenties, right? Price tag. I I would the, imagine it's, it's. I think like if if I think if you go if you go for the upgraded paint, like to get that cool red and white, which is like from the 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 flat track bikes. I think it's like you're talking like twenty four. So so like you're really up there in price. And, and like so we were saying like i you know as a young person new rider you know okay granted could be a professional person's making a lot of money money's not an option so sure you know but, but the the average younger person buying a motorcycle yeah I, I just don't know if that fits and it's interesting because you know i've got the the kawasaki z900 rs and granted you know it's a retro style bike right so it, it's kind of a heritage thing, but it does have the newer features. You know, it's got ABS and traction control and, you know, a little bit of electronics on the dashboard and whatever. So from that point of view, you would think, you know, it might be appealing to younger people. Um, but, you know, by and large, the people buying that bike, you know, because I belong to these Facebook groups and stuff for the bike, they're like 40s, 50s and yeah. whatever. And a lot of them buy that bike because they had a Kawasaki, you know, h1 or whatever or, right, or, right. The, or this or the z the z1 you know back yeah. in the day yeah. so it's like they're just kind of you know re- reliving that kind of thing and the thing is like that uh, maybe it lists for 12 i think i got mine for like ten thousand, right which yeah. you know that's a chunk of change and i'm like looking at it going what would have to be in the live wire and the ftr like i love those bikes like i love the yeah. way the live wire looks although i prefer the prototype over the the production model i love the way the ftr 1200 looks but what could those bikes have that would encourage me to spend another 14, 15, 20 grand? Like it, it's honestly not there. It's not there. It, it's, it's, it's not there for, for, for us even. And it's certainly not going to be there for younger people. And I, and I don't honestly, those, I think those, those bikes are kind of, uh, first shots, if you will, shots off yeah. about, yeah. we're going to put this at, you know, in I, in guaranteed, there, I'll bet you that Livewire is the best electric bike you can get. Harley sat on that for a long time and put a lot of work and everything. It's probably worth really every penny that it that they're charging for it. I, yeah. I wouldn't doubt that. FTR 1200, same thing. But for normal people, they're not, you know, and especially if you're, even if you're a, a seasoned motorcyclist, okay, if you walk into a Harley dealership and you, you see a Livewire, for uh, $30,000 and then you look over at a, a, you know, brand new CVO ultra, you know, for $30,000 and what you can do on that ultra compared to what you can do on that live wire, you know, even if you have that 30 grand, I think it would be hard to spend it on something that you can do less on. But I, but ultimately I, I do think that that live wire and the FTR 1200 probably falls under this too. Those are, their first product off the line and they're going to be expensive, but I think they're going to take both those technologies and dial them back a little bit and come out with less expensive versions of these bikes. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was a a marketing ploy necessarily, not kind of like, let's put this out, see who likes it and we'll make more if it sells a lot. If they're putting it out those prices, they know they're not going to sell a lot of them. They have to know they're not going to sell a lot of them. Right. But I think they're going to use that technology anyway. They're going to get every dollar they can out of the R&D that they put into those bikes mm-hmm. and make smaller versions. Oddly enough, my the my local Harley dealership here in Bellevue, I got it, you know, I get emails from them from time to time 
um, just from going around and looking around in there. Apparently, that dealership has had more pre-orders for the Livewire than anywhere else in the world. Wow. Um, but, you know, I'm in Seattle area, so it's, mm-hmm. it's tech money and mm-hmm. tech fever. And, and right around the corner from that that Harley dealership is a, a you know, Bentley dealership and a Ferrari dealership. And yeah, a, yeah. Okay. So. So you okay. obviously you see, you see what the what the audience is for those bikes at least sure. initially I think. No, yeah. that, and that's a good point, you know. And so maybe the thing really is these are the showcase bikes, right? Like you said, so this is the, this is the the first stab at this. It's the, the kind of the new generation, the new cool technology, but it's high priced, yeah. and it's like it's the showpiece that says, "Hey, look at what we're doing. Look at what we yeah. can do." That gets people, especially younger people, in the showroom, and then. When they come in and they sit down, they go, wow, like this is really cool. How much is it? And the salesman says 30 grand. They go, what else do you have? Yeah. Well, <laughs> have you looked at the street? Whatever, or you know, yeah. whatever it happens to be. You sure. Because I, I, I could see someone going, okay, so FTR 1200, awesome bike, 24 grand. And then, oh, what's this street bobber thing? Oh, that's 12? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's half. That's half the price. Maybe, you know, right. maybe I go for that. And then to your point, so yeah, maybe, maybe it is the tool that lets them pay, you know, amortize the R&D cost you know so, so the people you know it's it's like the early adopters thing and, and you know this is interesting too right because in computers technology and and now you're talking about more technology oriented motorcycles right but that's always been a thing in technology is you have what's called the early adopters right so the brand new iphone comes out the new samsung android phone the new laptop the, the new flat screen technology comes out and there's going to be those people who are like i have to have that thing yeah. And they don't really care how much it costs. They can say they're the first or one of the first. And that kind of gets things going and it helps pay off the R&D expense that's happened. And it provides the money kind of to move forward. And then the technology matures and more people jump in and its economies of scale and it gets less expensive. And then, you know, you have this thing called, I forget what it is, this, some famous uh, whatever tech marketing guy talked about the trailing edge where it's this thing about basically technology adoption where you have this, when a new technology comes out, this big ramp up of early adopters and they spend a ton of money on it. And then as time goes by, the more and more time goes out, the cheaper and cheaper the thing gets per unit. And the, you know, the, the more competition you have, it becomes more of a commodity item. And then the next technology spike comes. And, 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 and that's how Silicon Valley and Seattle area and, Austin, Texas, and whatever, they keep making their money because they come out, you know, they wait, they come out with the next greatest cool thing. A bunch of people have to have it. They make a ton of money, you know, and then people will keep buying it, but then they got to come out with the next new big thing, you know, to get that spike again. So maybe this is just an example in motorcycling, you know, so it's like, okay, early adopters come in, you buy a live wire, FTR 1200, whatever it is, really cool stuff that then makes it possible because we've already, Indians already said that they're going to use the the FTR 1200 is going to be kind of a platform. You know, they're going to have different size motors in there. And Harley's talked about the same thing with their bikes, like the Street Fighter and whatnot. So, you know, I guess you'll have the whatever, the 600cc Street Fighter sure. instead of the 1200 or 1500 or whatever it is, you know. Right. So right. Yeah. just just uh, just so I don't forget a lot of the stuff that I just said about the R&D and stuff like that, that's stuff I heard. Uh, from another I, from another podcast that I hadn't really thought about it, and it, it was uh, Sir Mike. So uh, shout mm-hmm. out to okay. Sir Mike. Oh yeah, He's definitely. Kind of introduced that idea to me. I, it's something I didn't think about. And he talked about you know you're talking about the early adopters, and he did the same thing. He talked about Tesla. Yeah, how, how right. those first Teslas came out, and it was kind of the same the same thing. So uh, 
so yeah, sorry, Mike, stole your stole your ideas there, but yeah. So shout, but, yeah, I mentioned before, yeah, I mentioned before, yeah. So uh, Sir Mike, he's got the Shut Up and Ride Motorcycle Podcast. So definitely check him out. Uh, he's I think he's coming up eight nine episodes or something. So definitely definitely good. I like his stuff. But but yeah, so that's that's a thing too. Is like you said with Tesla, which I hadn't really thought about. But you know, it's like a lot of these, right? You know, that's just kind of a thing in technology, at least lately it has been you know when these companies came out like whether it was google or amazon or whatever they just got started and spent tons of money because it it costs so much to to build the infrastructure and whatever you needed to have and they really weren't that worried about making money it was just like spend 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 and they they weren't making money they were losing money unfortunately people kept investing to keep it rolling but then if they had the formula right and they you know the, the the management plans all worked then you had this big success. Now you got Amazon that like owns the world practically, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now, now they're talking about sending rockets to the moon. And I don't know, maybe maybe we're going to have Amazon warehouses on the moon or something. <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> we're going to have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll need, we'll need the storage out. space. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right, so cool. I'm wait wait so, for the Amazon bike, the Amazon motorcycle. That That'll be the... Oh, that yeah. No, <laughs> oh, you mean well? Actually, I mean that's I don't know. Like that may not be that far off. Like being to buy motorcycles through Amazon. I'm sure they've sure. thought about it. You know, because I think I'm pretty sure like you can buy scooters, like electric scooters from Amazon. You know, they're a couple, couple thousand dollars or something like that. So, right. and they're I forget the name of the company, but there is some company that has this all like kind of mail order delivery based car like car sales or something i forget the name of it but you know it's basically you just you just buy a car online and then they deliver it to your house well i had a a friend at work they just bought a tesla it was the same thing they bought it all online mm-hmm. they picked out everything they wanted bought it all online and somebody drove it up to their you know <laughs> drove it up to their driveway and dropped off the keys yeah it's it's actually funny a couple months ago i was at the, a mall it's kind of a couple towns over hadn't been to in quite some time but you know i knew it had been built up and remodeled like it's a beautiful, beautiful mall and there's, there's actually a Tesla dealership in the mall. Now, like I, I, I'm accustomed, like even as a kid, like you would go to the mall and there'd be like cars on display, right? Like the main avenue or whatever that the stores were along, it was common to have dealers would put cars or boats or something like that. And you'd go look and check it out. But this actually is a Tesla dealership, like right in the mall. You know, so you, you can go to Microsoft or Apple or whatever, and you can go to Godiva to get your chocolate. And then you go into Tesla and you buy a car that had like three yeah. models on display or something. So things, things are definitely changing. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So uh, we're a little, it's actually about an hour and 20 minutes. This has been a really, really good discussion. So yeah. let's see if we can find a way to kind of come to some conclusion on everything we've talked about. Um, so I don't know what, what's, what's your thoughts on that? So I, I guess, so basically, right. So the thing is that the, there's a shift is happening in the motorcycle industry, right? Obviously, you know, the manufacturers are not stupid. You know, they have smart people working there where the Tarly, it's Indian, it's the European Japanese manufacturers. Like they're all looking at these different things and, you know, maybe you could criticize them and say, well, they they waited too long. But I, I don't know. It's like it's always, you know, what has the saying go? It's like, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. You know, it's always very easy to look at what someone else is doing wrong. Right. It's like, yeah. well, OK, if you'd been in that position, what would you have done differently? Oh. Kind of thing. You know, I love I love to armchair quarterback. It's my, yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing to do. Yeah. No. And, and you're right. They, You know, you can say that they 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 waited a little bit too long, but at the same time, you know, the, Harley was such, uh, 
had that heritage and they were such a novelty. And for so many years, um, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, that was a kind of a milestone for them. Like, and I remember when I got my first Harley, it was that sort of a monument, you know, uh, to 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 a lot of american society you know it was big it was like getting a cadillac you know what i mean it mm-hmm. was it yeah. meant something to you it was a it right. was an emotional purchase and it, and because of that novelty and that heritage and and um there's just not uh, unfortunately you know uh that 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 attachment has kind of gone away i guess a little bit and it's not you know they can't count on 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 business coming from that that sort of emotional range before you, you know, or now that you know they they can't count on on a Har- purchasing a Harley Davidson being a, a monumental thing for for the next generation so they they do have to change and they have had to change Harley Davidson I know we're talking more about Harley than anything else poor 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 Harley poor poor uh, well, Harley. well I, I, but 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 here's the thing right and we've pointed this out I think I've mentioned this on throttled it's like okay yeah yeah poor poor Harley but it's like we spend, you know, parts of an hour talking about Harley. It's just, totally. it's just marketing and promotion it's for them. Great it's like, for them. because it's great you know, someone's going to listen to this and go, "Oh, I never thought about Harley. Let me, oh, what's this live wire yeah. electric motorcycle thing?" So, to that degree, it's actually very smart. I, and I don't, I'm not saying Harley did it on purpose, but yeah. you know, anything that gets people talking about your company, yeah. you know, is good, yeah, totally. good marketing. Yeah. It's a good thing, and and for them, you know. Harley will survive through any of this, even if they don't get younger buyers, even if people don't, don't care about the newer bikes that come out, they can, they can go, you know, they can scale back and go small and become, you know, kind of boutique like Indian or victory. And then, you know, and build back up if, if they need to things, you know, it's just a big, big roller coaster. And I don't, I don't think we need to worry as much as we do about the future of motorcycling. I, I think, you know, the, the, millennials catch a lot of crap you know um uh, and i i don't think all of it's deserved i think we were all young people at one point and and people our age looked at us and thought man those those kids rotten kid you know they don't they're, right, gonna, right, they're right. gonna ruin everything they're messing everything up they're messing everything up and and uh and 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 they'll and so when they're our age they'll say the same thing it's just you know i, I don't think we need to worry about it so much in the meantime you know even if harley and Indian and all those people that, you know, stop making their normal cruisers and stop making their normal lineup. There's a billion used Harleys out there. It's not, it's not, it's like when they changed the, the, they they did away with the Dyna, you know, and brought everything to the soft tail platform and everybody was just up in arms and, and going crazy. And, and, um, I think Lemmy from Revzilla said, if you want an old Dyna, there's a billion of them out there. They're, they're, you know, go on Craigslist. You're good to go. They're out there. Right. So, uh, I don't, you know, motorcycling in America might scale back quite, quite a bit and it might, um, take a hit economically and, and, and that, that sucks. And, but I think, I think it'll come back and I, I think, uh, you know, they just need to, they need to stop trying to pander and stop trying to market to, to younger people. Cause they're not, I, I don't think they're, they're doing it correctly. And I don't think that the younger people want that. They don't want to be pandered to, they don't want to be marketed to. They'll buy what they want when they want to buy it, and that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty yeah. much that. But the, I mean, it does it does seem to be shifting. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about, like for any of these manufacturers, and not just motorcycles, it's anything. But it's you know, it's like you you do the things that you know and that you've been successful at. That's just kind of 
operate, right? It's just normal to operate that way in life. So it, it's an interesting thing. And, and even like for me in the technology field, you know, doing computer stuff for a living, I constantly have to be keeping tabs on what's changing, what's new, what's, or because as a, as a programmer, you can become obsolete. It's kind of the same problem in a way, I think, that like the motorcycle industry faces. So it's like, you can't really blame these guys. It's like, well, we're just doing what's always been successful. Right. You know, and so, so how do you strike that balance? And this is for any business. You know, how do you strike that balance of doing what works now and keeps the sales going and keeps the doors open and investing something at least in the future so that you're ready, like when the next big, next big wave comes kind of thing. But I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess my philosophy in life, I'm basically an optimist. So I agree with you. I, I, I don't think motorcycles are disappearing. I don't think motorcycling is disappearing. It may change. You know, it may change its shape and color a little bit. Yeah, okay, maybe we're not going to have so many electric, uh, you know, gas-powered motorcycles, and it's going to be more electric, and maybe it's how people use them is going to change kind of thing. But I, I, think, I think the more important, maybe this is the conclusion to the whole thing, is just keep doing what you and I are doing. Like, just this, like, it's one of the things I want to do with this podcast is just, hey, you know, make people aware of motorcycling or if they, if they are aware, help them enjoy it more, get more out of it or whatever it happens to be and just keep talking to people. And, you know, if we all just do that, if we just have our attention on promoting and expanding things instead of worrying, you know, what's happening here and is this falling apart and is this going away? It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, totally kind of thing. There's, so. there's always going to be the kid that looks out the window of his parents' car it's what sees a motorcycle go ripping past and, and is, is going to say, you know, to, to his or herself, Oh man, I, that's so awesome. And you know, that, that, that's always going to be a thing. They're, motorcycles sure. first and foremost are fun machines, you know, Abs- and, and there's, right. there's always a market for fun. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and that brings me back to something I had mentioned a couple episodes ago where Gene and I had been at this antique motorcycle show and this little girl came walking up and she saw my bike and her eyes just lit up and it was like, yeah. okay, well, there's the future of motorcycling. Like, it is. let's, you know, let's just whatever, make it available yeah. to them, you know, keep it around kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing too is like one of the things that's kind of come up recently on my radar is other things, you know, so so yeah, like expanding and trying to get more people involved. But the other thing is one, not losing, you know, not losing people who do ride, but then get frustrated because they can't do it successfully or they're not enjoying it. So kind of handle that. And I kind of see what Fast Eddie is doing with Moto Jitsu as a thing for that, because it's like, hey, let's focus on getting people to wear gear and, you know, learning how to ride a motorcycle properly so that they have happy experiences on their motorcycle. And then the other thing is looking at the underserved demographics. So like, you know, I did a couple episodes where we talked about the the women riders world relay and what's being done to help, you know, uh, encourage more women to ride or to get more backing for women, you know, from motorcycle manufacturers, gear manufacturers. So there's, there's lots of opportunity here, you know? There so is. yeah, there is. So it's really, that's really kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Before we uh, close out, any last thoughts you want to share? Oh no! I just this is a this is a hoot. Um, I, I thanks for having me on. And, oh, absolutely! And, thanks for joining me. And, it was, and talk. It it's uh, yeah. you know, like I was saying about the motorcycle podcast world. When you're as obsessed about motorcycles as we are, you have to find you have to find other people to <laughs> like, talk to. Yeah, because, have an outlet. <laughs> you know, yeah, because because people that don't don't care don't care, and they're just and yeah. They and it. so it's so we have to find uh we have to we have to sniff out our own kind and <laughs> yeah so yeah it's this has been really fun getting to 
getting the job out bikes and stuff. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been a blast. So uh, if people want to contact you, what's the best way? Uh, it's, so I don't, I, besides the Slack channel, I don't really do any social media. So um, it's, uh, I'll spell it out for you. T-E-R-R-I-B as in boy, I-L-I-N-I, 2010 at com. Yes, me and four other people still have Hotmail. <laughs> so uh hey you know <laughs> i mean hotmail i still have yahoo i use yahoo which yeah. i think was before hotmail even you know and I, like i know people my accountant and some other friends i have still use aol so hey, you know <laughs> yeah i mean whatever you gotta that's, awesome. that's you gotta keep it alive it's like if there's people sure. using it right you know someone Absolutely. buy it buys it up or incorporates it or whatever yeah so, okay cool and uh i'll also i'll put your email address in the show notes so people have it they don't have to worry about spelling it correctly right so, sounds good thank you all right tony so thanks a lot for joining me it's been a lot of fun i really appreciate it uh keep keep listening and keep you know keep giving me suggestions you know like get other people to listen if you can and uh yeah if there's things you want to hear about it, they want to hear about it, let me know i was curious to know what what the listeners want to hear yeah right on. all right all right man good night good night thanks chris so I want to give a big thank you to Tony Tarabellini for being on the show tonight. I had a lot of fun, and hopefully there'll be a chance for him to join me again in the future sometime. And also, before I close out the show, I did want to make a correction. So in the show, I had mentioned that the Indian FTR 1200S was priced around $24,000, which did a little quick research. It turns out that was incorrect. So the, uh, the list price for the Indian FTR 1200S, which is the, the one with the, I guess S is the sport package. It's, it's got some additional features and things, uh, is $15,499. So that's about to about $10,000, $9,500 less than what I had said. So just wanted to make sure you have the correct data on that. And then the FTR 1200 model, which has a few less features than the S, lists at 13499 So just something to be aware at. Uh, I'm sorry, be aware of. So I've got the links to those bike models in the show notes. You can check it out if you want. Um, so let me just quickly revise what I had said in the show. Um, you know, so it's a different, definitely def different price point than like the Harley Davidson Livewire. So it's about half the price. Uh, still, I, I need to, I need to, I need to test ride the FTR 1200. I have not yet had an opportunity. I, I would really like to, but even so just what I know about my bike, the Z900 RS. And like I said, I paid about 10,000 for it. I guess the FTR 1200 would have to have a lot, a lot of additional stuff I really wanted to, to for me to buy a bike with that additional price increase. But, you know, it, it, it is a new model. Um, you know, I've heard really good things about it. I, I know a bunch of people are excited about it. So, so like I said, I'll report back in the future when uh, I've had a chance to test ride it. Also, uh, I want to let everyone know that uh, I've now got some stickers that I had made for the podcast just to kind of help me promote the podcast and get out the word. Uh, I may charge for these in the future. You know, a lot of podcasts do just as a way to help subsidize the costs. Right now, I'm not doing that. They're available free of charge just because I want to, you know, continue to promote the podcast. So if you're interested, um, you know, contact me at the various mechanisms, send me an email or use the contact form on the website. But uh, so I've got uh, three inch round stickers that have a kind of a clear background. Uh, and then I've got uh, two inch square and three inch square stickers. So if you're interested in a sticker, 
yeah, contact me. Let me know your mailing address so I know how to get it to you, and I will ship it out while supplies last. Then also a little bit of news. So this coming weekend, Memorial Day weekend, I'm going to be at the New Jersey Motorsports Park for the 7th Annual AHRMA Vintage Motorcycle Festival and Swap Meet. I'm going to be spending some time there with the Vintage Japanese Motorcycle Club, which is also known as VGMC. Um, definitely going to be meeting a lot of people. I may be doing some recordings there for the podcast. We'll have to see. Or I may just kind of, you know, meet people and get contact info so I can contact them in the future to have them on the show. But I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then uh, at, at the New Jersey Motorsports Park uh, for that festival, I'm also going to be sharing a tent with uh, Eugene and Shauna Sanderson, uh, who are affiliated with the Women Riders World Relay, which um, we talked about or I talked about with them in a prior episode. I believe that was episode six. So check out those episodes if you're interested in the Women Riders World Relay. And we're going to be doing some photos in front of a big logo banner that Shauna had printed out that's got both the... Uh, the Werewer logo and my podcast logo on it. So that should be fun. You know, people can pose with their bike and we'll do photos. I'll be doing the photos. One of my side interests is photography. So yeah, just to close out the show. So uh, please contact me anytime at so you want to ride at yahoo.com or so you want to ride a motorcycle.com. Please like and leave me comments and a rating on your favorite podcast service. That'll help other people find my podcast, which is available now on pretty much all the platforms. So iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, etc. Please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for So You Want to Ride. I post a lot of content there on pretty much a daily basis, actually a couple times a day. And also, please spread the word and help me keep building my online community. The last I checked, I think I had about 4,600, over 4,600 episode downloads. So I'm really pleased with that. I've got uh, listeners all over the world, you know, who can contact me here and there. So that's been really cool. I'm really enjoying doing this. So... Thank you for listening, and once again, just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. 